You're listening to Avra's Money 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. In today's episode, we're going to learn about stablecoins. What are they? How do they work? And why are they important? To help us break down this topic, we have Avra's CEO and founder, Bill Barheit, in conversation with Raphael Kosman, the co-founder and head of engineering for Trust Token. Trust Token is the creator of TrueUSD, a price-stable cryptocurrency backed one-to-one with the U.S. dollar. Bill and Raphael cover a lot of ground in this conversation, including Raphael's thoughts on how Facebook's Libra project could impact the stablecoin ecosystem and what's coming next from Trust Token and Abra. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group. For access to premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. Before jumping in, remember, the information presented in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any of the financial assets discussed. Any opinions expressed herein are subject to change. Neither Abra nor any of the participants in this podcast make any representation as to the suitability or appropriateness of these financial assets for individual investors. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Uh, Bill Barhead here. Welcome to another episode of Abra's Money 3.0. I am particularly excited about today's episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about stable coins. And with me, I've got Raphael Kosman, co-founder and head of engineering uh, and product at Trust Token. So, Raphael, welcome to Money 3.0. Thank you. Good to, good to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, thrilled to have you here. We're going to get into uh, stablecoins, their role in the, in the crypto ecosystem. I also want to talk about, we're going to talk about TrueUSD, which is uh, your first product. And, and I understand you've got some new products coming out, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, but how did you get into crypto in the first place? What was your first foray into crypto? And, and, and what was your kind of route to, to get here at Trust Token? Yeah, so I originally heard about crypto when I was an undergrad studying computer science, and I had just seen it as a really cool technology, but um, only started working in it full time, really focusing on it within the last couple of years. And it was really seeing the seeing the opportunity that was here in crypto, especially with Tether being such a popular product, but also so untrustworthy. That was really interesting to me and my co-founders. And we said, hey, we think there's a big opportunity here to build a much more trustworthy version of this type of thing. Yeah. Now, and so you were down the road here at Stanford. Was there a, a community already of people uh, a few years ago that were, were focused on crypto where you could talk about it with other people? Or were you just more or less a party of one at that point? Um, there was a little bit. It was small. You know, we do have Dan Bonet, who is sure. one of the fathers of cryptography. He's a very, very famous He's amazing. Um, cryptography professor. Um, I took a bunch of his classes, and that was one of the things that started to get me interested in it. Um, but I think that for me, just like many other people, it, it can sort of be kind of an intellectual uh, curiosity, but then there's sort of a moment when you say, oh, wow, there's actually a huge opportunity here to build some products and tools that can really change the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic. And how did you, you, you have a co-founder as well. How did you guys get together, and what's the story there? Yeah, so uh, I actually have three co-founders. There's Jay, Stephen, and Tori. Yeah. And Jay and I met um, shortly after I graduated Stanford. And we uh, met at an event and went on a long walk together afterwards and saw that there was just a ton of alignment between you know, what we wanted to do with our lives and the sort of impact we wanted to have on the world. Mm-hmm. And so we decided it made a lot of sense for us to team up. And we just spent a lot of time you know, hacking on projects, figuring out what we wanted to do. 
Now, when, when you and I first spoke a couple of years ago, you guys were trying to do something quite different or, or different than what you're doing now. How did you guys end up making that transition to from what you were doing, I should say, to, to what you're doing now? Yeah, so when we originally started this company, it was actually an estate planning company. So we made software that helps people make their wills and trusts. Yeah. And um, then we trans, you know, we got, we got into a certain stage with that product. We had our first customers, starting to get our first revenue, and we saw we just saw what was happening in crypto, and just got very interested in it, and saw the opportunity that was presented in terms with Tether, and we said, hey, um, you know, estate planning, we think it can work and it could be a very good company, good product for us to build, but we think this, this is a bigger opportunity. Sure. So. By the way, I, I don't know if you saw this, I don't remember who the company was, but I saw this product on Twitter, somebody talking about it a couple of weeks ago, where they basically deal with um, what happens with your Bitcoin when you die. Yeah. Right. So I guess that would have been a little bit of a mashup between what you were doing before and 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 what you're doing now. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought much about it, but it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean private key management when you die is, is clearly an issue, a problem. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I think we were in a somewhat unique position of, of because of the company we were building, you know, we were two sort of tech guys, but we our first hire was actually an attorney, Michael, who's still on our team today. Uh, okay. And, you know, so we had a combination of tech experience, but also legal experience. And when we were looking at crypto, we thought that gave us a very unique lens. And some of these... Um, products like tokenized assets, you know, where you have, uh, you're connecting, let's say, fiat currencies to the blockchain, it really does require both uh, a lot of technolo technological expertise and also legal expertise to pull those off well. Gotcha. So so why the transition to stable coins uh, and, and talk about where you are in that now, I mean, you're live, obviously, and, and, and where you are as a company. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was a, you know, we, we were looking at like, what are the you know, in crypto, there's a lot of hype. I think everyone sees that. There's a ton of hype. Absolutely. And it comes in waves. Um, but there's, you know, there are a certain number of use cases and products that have real value, real business models, and you know, products that help real people. And we, we, we were thinking about, in, in crypto, we said, you know, we want to launch products that are used by real people, real actual users, and they'll care about what we're building. And we saw stablecoins as a very, very good use case there, where Tether had demonstrated that there was literally billions of dollars of demand for a USD-backed stablecoin, but it left the door wide open for competition to come in because they had uh, unfortunately become so mistrusted by the community. Mm. And so you know, we launched our product through USD, and since then there have been a couple other competitors that have come in. But I think it is a, it was a very, very unique uh, moment in the world of startups where someone proves out a multi-billion dollar market, but then allows competition to come in by having such a poor reputation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's take a step back. What is a stable coin? Yeah. Uh, what are the stable coins that are out there? And what's different between your stable coin and the other stable coins that are out there? So let's take those one at a time. So what's a stable coin? Yeah, okay, so a stable coin is a price stable cryptocurrency. So. You've probably all heard of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. These cryptocurrencies are highly volatile. They can be worth you know, $10,000 one day, $5,000 the next day. And that makes them very exciting for speculators and people that want to invest in them and potentially have large upside. But it makes them a lot less useful for many other applications. Like if you're a business and you want to pay your employees or you're a customer and you're trying to check out from the supermarket, some of these cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum are less attractive for those types of use cases because they could be worth 
5% or 30% less in a very short period of time, given how volatile they are. So um, stable coins are, they eliminate that problem, um, but they still keep a lot of the advantages that cryptocurrencies have in terms of um, you know, secure and fast transactions with anyone anywhere in the world 24 seven. And that's very difficult to do with the, the alternative, um, the kind of payment methods that we have today, like sending bank wires. So um, that's what stable coins are. And there's, there are several different models for how to build stable coins. So there are fiat backed stable coins like our product TrueUSD, where for every TrueUSD that's in circulation, there is a dollar that's sitting in a bank account and you can at any time take your true USD and redeem it for the dollar, or you can send in dollars and get true USD. So it's one for one fungible with US dollars. Then there are uh, stable coins that are backed by crypto assets. And so DAI is the most famous one of these. Mm -hmm. And DAI is actually backed by Ethereum that is locked up in a smart contract. And because Ethereum is volatile, it has to be over collateralized. So there might be 150 or 200% uh, the amount of Ethereum that, you know, sitting in that smart contract in case Ethereum goes down, that way the DAI will still be backed. And then there are what are called uh, purely algorithmic stable coins where there aren't any assets, um, fiat assets or crypto assets that are directly backing the tokens. And that model, some folks have designed things like that, um, but there aren't any coins of that type that have a large market cap today. Yeah. And how do you, uh, I mean, your, your name is Trust Token as a company. Yep. Uh, how do you inst instill trust in the users who are taking it on faith that they're not technical, that if I have $100 uh, worth of true USD in my wallet, that there really is $100 somewhere uh, backing that? Yeah, so, so that's a place that we've invested very heavily. And so um, the some of the things that we've done that some of the other um asset-backed stablecoins have yet to do. Um, not only do we get monthly uh, attestations of the funds that back through USD, but we actually have a top 50 accounting firm that does a real-time reporting where they plug into our banks directly and they show online real-time 24-7 that the number of dollars in those accounts matches the number of true USD tokens in circulation. So that's something that any hold, any token holder can check anytime. So, so in other words, I'm effectively looking online if I want to at a real-time quasi-audited, I don't know if that's the right phrase, or certainly certified third-party accounting firm-based uh, overview of what's in the bank versus what's in circulation from a, a crypto token perspective. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. We can't technically use the term audit yet. I think it's missing certain um, criteria, but we're working on it. We'd like to get to that point. I see. I see. Okay, and from a compliance perspective or legal perspective, uh, what are you? Are you a money transmitter? Uh, what is your legal status as a company? Yeah, so our company is a money services business registered here in the United States. And one of the, you know, from a compliance perspective, we do have a responsibility to do a full KYC check on everyone that purchases and redeems TrueUSD. So no one can go from TrueUSD to fiat or vice versa unless we've checked that they are legit, they're not a money launderer or a terrorist or anything like that. Yeah. And then um, we also work with the ba banking partners and they're the ones that hold all the US dollars and, and touch the fiat. We actually don't touch any of the fiat. We do that all through third-party banking partners and that, that's part of what um, adds trust to the system that you know, there's that um, sort of separation of responsibilities between our company and the trust companies and banks that hold the funds. And do you have to be a money services business in all the countries you operate, or can you do that just via your US money service business? Because I assume you have customers all over the world, right? 
Yeah, so, so just via our U.S. money services business. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so um, now I also understand you have multiple currencies now besides. Uh, in, in addition to uh, true USD, you have true, I think, pounds, true Hong Kong dollars, Canadian dollars, if I have that right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So since launching true USD, we've got um, four other currencies we've launched. Um, true British pound, true Canadian dollar, true Australian dollar, and true Hong Kong dollar. And we think that those those products, they are, we think that they're quite useful in the same way that true USD is useful, where, you know, just like a true USD allows anyone, anywhere in the world to transact US dollars 24-7 and almost instantly and almost free. We're now expanding that to basically have multi-currency support, where we can put a full multi-currency account in the pocket of every person on the planet, mm-hmm. and say you can transact in any of these currencies with anyone else, twenty-four-seven, with minimal fees. And, and the online overview of, of what's the, the the bank balance is for those uh, Hong Kong dollars is just is there to see just like the U.S. dollar balance. It's no different. Is that true? Um. So for for those uh, additional accounts. Um, we still we have the monthly attestations, but we're still working on getting the real-time reporting set up. It is a little bit more difficult because we're working with different banking partners for those, and we launched them more recently, but that is something we're aiming to add in the future. I see. So so those banks would be outside the U.S. effectively because they're not U.S. currencies, or they're at least different banks? Um, yeah, some of them are inside the U.S., some of them are outside the U.S. I see. Very interesting. Okay. Um, and... Talk about the technology architecture. When I, if I have a, a wallet, or if I'm, if I'm holding, pri- managing private keys, what am I getting technically when I'm holding TrueUSD? Yeah, so TrueUSD is an ERC twenty token. Yep. And so for folks that aren't familiar with ERC twenty tokens, um, they're a type of token that's built on top of Ethereum. You can think of Ethereum as being like a decentralized computer, and you can write all kinds of programs on this computer that will run in a trustless way, and an ERC-20 token is a particular type of program where it's a very simple program. It's basically just keeping track of everyone's balances of this thing that we call TrueUSD. And if you've got a balance of 100 TrueUSD, then you can transfer some to another person just by calling the smart contract, signing a transaction, and saying that you want to make that transfer. And so what you're holding if you hold TrueUSD is you know, it's literally just a balance in that smart contract which says Bill Barheight has 50 TrueUSD, Raphael has 20 TrueUSD, and that number in that smart contract, that is what true USD is. Gotcha. And and do you know how many people are holding true tokens today, true USD or otherwise? Uh, um, other currencies? Well, yes and no. So um, the number of wallets that are on chain, that we can view. Sure. And that's, that's usually in the thousands or tens of thousands. It you know, fluctuates up and down. But um, there is a lot of information that's off chain that we can't see. So for example, an exchange like exchange Binance, right. Yeah, right. they're holding huge amounts of true USD and then that's held in one single hot wallet or, or a hot wallet on a cold wallet. And they could have um, thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of users that are holding those TrueUSD. And there's no way for an external party to be able to see how many users are using TrueUSD. Do you have a, a, a guesstimate as to how many, if you would include the exchanges, how many people that might be? Um, you know, we've got some we've got some guesstimates, but there are wide error bounds. So I don't know if there's anything that um, we can say with confidence on that right. side. And what is the dollar volume of tokens in circulation today? Well, okay, so um, market cap is very well defined and easy to measure. And TrueUSD has a market cap of around 182 million. Okay. Um, but the, one of the issues with the volume is that volume is very easy to fake. And so, unfortunately, it is the case that most volume in crypto across all markets 
um, most volume is actually fake. Sure. And you can look at certain exchanges that have very strong reputations, and it's more like that their volume is real, but there are a lot of exchanges that have fake volume. And so the reported volume on CoinMarketCap for TrueUSD is oftentimes in the you know, $200 million or so over 24 hours, but that does fluctuate a lot. And we, and we do think that a lot of that may be fake volume, and that's the case across crypto that there are many exchanges that are sort of incentivized to report fake volume. Sure. And, and when you say fake volume, that's transaction volume as opposed to just the, the number of uh, the dollar value of true tokens in circulation, which you can't fake because those are mapped one to one with dollars. So if I was to go to the website right now and, and look up the dollar volume of, of, of true USD, I'm, I'm, uh, what, what number would I would I see uh, or close to what number would I see? Yeah. So true USD, the, the actual the actual market cap today is 182 million. Gotcha. That's what you can see on coin market yep. cap. That's yep. very reliable, but um, the volume, which right right now you know is reported to be 243 million, um, that you'd have to really um, you have to really dive into that and figure out what parts are real and parts are fake. Unfortunately, many people do take this kind of thing on faith, yeah. and that's not uh, it's not really accurate. And, and if you look at on chain volume, that unfortunately is, is also very easy to fake because um, you know people can generate. You know, if you could take a million true USD and just juggle it back and forth between two wallets a thousand times, and you'd have generated a billion dollars of on-chain transaction volume. And so, when people report on-chain transaction volume for Ethereum or Bitcoin or other coins, um, you really should also look to look at that with a skeptical eye because it is so easy to inflate those numbers. Right. So, for you, it sounds like the most important metric is just the amount of true USD in circulation. Is that is that is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. But then we also focus on a lot of the things that are leading indicators of that in terms of the integrations that we're building with exchanges, wallets, and other partners, the level of trust that we have with the community, and so on. Right. So, so that leads to the next two questions, which is, why are people using TrueUSD, to your knowledge? What is the most important one or two use cases that are driving people to use it, and how are they getting it? So let's start with the first one. What, what are the use cases that you think is driving the $182 million to be in circulation in the first place? Yeah, so I'd say so probably the biggest use case there is trading on cryptocurrency exchanges, where a lot of exchanges, uh, a lot of the biggest exchanges in the world don't have U.S. dollars. And the reason they don't have U.S. dollars is because it's difficult for regulatory and compliance reasons for them to work with banks. Mm -hmm. now, that's what we specialize in, is working with banks and being highly compliant and having a you know, very strong KYC checks and so on. Um, so these these many of these exchanges they struggle to be able to have US dollars or other fiat currencies directly on the exchange, but it's not a problem for them to have stable coins on the exchange because that's just another cryptocurrency. And so, um, you know, historically, the, historically, the way that the cryptocurrency uh, ecosystem worked is that there were a small number of exchanges, like let's say Coinbase, that did have fiat, they had US dollars. And they would act as the on-ramp for people to get money into crypto. And then there were a lot of exchanges that were just crypto only, and people would trade back and forth on these crypto only exchanges. Um, but the world is somewhat shifting now, where rather than these exchanges being the gateways for bringing money into crypto, stablecoins are taking on that role. And the reason that that makes more sense and is helpful for people is because you, know, you can put your money into a stablecoin, and that stablecoin can be listed on all kinds of different exchanges, whether or not those exchanges can support fiat directly. And so then, once you have your money in that tokenized form, like TreeUSD, then you can move it around easily anywhere. Right, makes perfect sense, um, and that's obviously how how large exchanges like Binance work, where there is no fiat on ramp or off ramp uh, from the banking system. They're one hundred percent 
uh, stablecoin based if you're holding holding fiat on their on their system or yeah. stablecoin based fiat I guess is is more accurate. That's right. That's right. And so that is actually the you know, that today is it's, it's more common than not that you have the exchanges do not have their own fiat but are doing that through stablecoins. Right now there are several stablecoins that they support uh, and all the exchanges support. Uh, why are why are people using true true USD when they're using it versus a tether or another form of stablecoin? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, today I'd say there's four main stablecoins on the market with significant market cap. Um, so there's uh, Tether, USDC, Paxos, and TrueUSD. Um, there's also Dai, which is a bit smaller, and that's the um, that's the one that's uh, crypto backed. It's backed by Ethereum rather than fiat. Um, but for these four large uh, fiat-backed stablecoins, um, you know, I think Tether is by far the largest. It's got about $4 billion of market cap, and the other ones are in the hundreds of millions, so they're a whole order of magnitude smaller. And the primary thing that makes people not, to, not want to use Tether is that they do have somewhat of a uh, poor reputation these days in the space, and that's because of some of the stuff that has happened in terms of them being uh, subpoenaed by the federal government and uh, subpoenaed by the New York regulators, um, you know, losing a lot of their banking relationships, getting hacked, uh, you know, a lot of issues that they've been facing that have really um, challenged their uh, trust with the community. Yeah. So so if you put Tether aside then and you talk about the other three, like, yeah. you know, yourself and Paxos and USDC, which I think is uh, Circle and if I remember right, and Coinbase, or is, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel that you differentiate yourselves, like the that that group of, of kind of core competitors? Yeah, so, so those two products are pretty similar, you know, and many people don't know which one that they want to choose. Um, the thing that we're focusing on the most in order to differentiate TrueUSD is building deeper integrations with the wallets, exchanges, and other apps that we work with. And so, you know, we as a company have developed two main strengths. One is compliance, and the other one is fiat on-ramp. And when we look at across the ecosystem, you know these these two problems are problems that almost every exchange and most wallets face at some point. Sure. And so what we're working on is providing a solution to them where we can provide a really seamless uh, process for getting KYC and on-ramping fiat. That is, you know, you, you as an exchange you could list our token TrueUSD, you know, and that would give people the ability to put fiat, move fiat onto your exchange you know, through TrueUSD. But it's not the kind of seamless experience that let's say a Coinbase customer would have. And through a deeper integration with exchanges and wallets, we think that we can create that kind of deeper uh, seamless experience, um, even with you know with companies that might have difficulty being able to get those banking relationships and so on themselves. Gotcha. And, and so let's segue that into um, the on-ramps and off-ramps, right? So how are people getting TrueUSD today? Yeah, so um, we offer TrueUSD through our app. So if you go to app.trusttoken.com, you can create an account, you go through our KYC process, and then you can send in, let's say, a $10,000 wire, you get 10,000 true USD. Send in 10,000 true USD, you get a $10,000 wire. Can I do that in any country in the world? Um, not quite any country. There are certain countries that are on the OFAC list. Sure. You know, the US has sanctions against So I can't them. do it if I'm in Iran or North Korea or Sudan or something like that. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But other than that, anyone anywhere in the world is able to purchase and redeem true USD. And that's bank all bank wire-based uh, rails. That's all bank wire based today. Yeah. Although we are working right now on adding additional um, payment methods. Okay. And then, but you know, that's that's sort of the that's like the one the one and only place where TrueUSD is actually created or redeemed. That's like the original source of every TrueUSD. Yeah. Every TrueUSD came through that app at some point. 
But a lot of the folks that are purchasing and redeeming TrueUSD there are actually partners or institutional players that are sort of reselling TrueUSD in one way or, or another. And so you know, we have many partnerships, including a partnership with Abra and other companies, and folks that list TrueUSD or, or use TrueUSD and allow TrueUSD to be purchased, let's say, with other payment methods, um, or folks that are market-making on exchanges, such that retail customers can purchase TrueUSD on Binance or on OKX or wherever, whatever exchanges they, they might happen to be trading on. Gotcha. Hey, did you know you can now deposit, send, and withdraw true USD on Abra? Download the Abra app today and get $25 in Bitcoin just for signing up and creating an Abra wallet. Abra makes investing in cryptocurrencies easy. Try it today and learn more at abra.com forward slash go Abra. Terms and conditions apply. Now, uh, I've been reading a lot and hearing a lot and, and talking to the press a lot about this whole travel rule issue yeah. uh, in the money service business world, which I think is uh, is going to be an interesting uh, aspect of the stablecoin ecosystem in the next few years. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the travel rule? Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. So, so the banks seem to be okay with this idea that if if I buy True USD by wiring you money. They, you know who I am because I've gone through a rigorous KYC and background process on your apps.trusttoken.com site that you mentioned. And I can then send that via Abra or an external wallet or some of the products to a user that you don't know, right? And yep. so um, the bank obviously doesn't mind that they don't know who is then receiving that uh, token from the other person. Uh, who they do know, right? And do you think that's going to change over time, or do you think that the regulators and the banks will will remain comfortable with the idea that it's only the on ramped uh, person using this, the on ramp or off ramp that I have to know? Okay, so um, I was like, let, let's dive into the travel rule. So the um, so the travel rule, what it, what it specifically is saying is that a a digital asset service provider. Like let's say an exchange. Well, the travel rule if, itself is, is general money service business regulation, which which precedes crypto, right? I mean, the travel yeah. rule has been around uh, for, for since basically uh, the Patriot Act. Yeah. Uh, now we're talking about the application of the travel rule explicitly to crypto, right? Which is slightly different. Yeah. So the, yeah. the FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, has recently released guidance saying you know the travel rule does apply to crypto, right. and they've provided some guidelines on to exactly how it applies to crypto. Yeah. And um, what they said is basically that you know if, if I'm an exchange and you're an exchange and someone is let's say transfers money from my exchange to your exchange, that I have to send along a little piece of information you know, with some of that user's KYC data, and um, this is something that banks do today, mm-hmm. and it's pretty it's it's pretty straightforward and well known how this is done in the conventional finance world, but in crypto there's still a lot of open questions of how will that information actually be transferred. And how do you make sure that you're not violating someone's privacy and so on when you're doing that? Yeah. So it is something that we've, that we've thought a bunch about. Um, there isn't right now a single solution that you know is is uh, we see a lot of cryptocurrency companies uh, adopting. And so I think it, I think over the next six months or so, we're going to be seeing various solutions roll out. Um, and it is something that we're what we're very interested in or thinking about. But I don't think that there's a a single solution yet today. Yeah. Now if I I realize this isn't your core business, but just as an aside, if I actually take Bitcoin from, let's say, Coinbase uh, and send it to Abra and then take that money from Abra and send it to a, a cold wallet or, or, or an offline 
well, it's on my hard disk that's not on an exchange, and then take that and send it to via an on-chain transaction to another wallet, and then send that to another exchange, there's no way that they, the last exchange can know that the money started at, at, at Abra or Coinbase. There's, there's, there's simply no physical way to know or, or guaranteed to know. Uh, and just so, so it seems to me that this is going to be a big uh, uphill challenge to even be able to, to comply in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't think it's actually um, quite as bad of a situation as that because um, my understanding of the guidance that FATF has put forward is that you know is that this information, this, KYC, this this certain amount of KYC data, it has to be transferred if someone's sending money from let's say one exchange to another, uh, in one digital asset service provider to another digital digital asset service provider. Um, but if you take some some funds off of an exchange and you put it onto let's say a hardware wallet that you control, that and then you and then you let's say from there you send it to a friend or you send it to another exchange or whatever you want to do with it, at that point there isn't any KYC data that has to be sent. That's mm-hmm. that's my understanding of that's the, my understanding that. as well. So so I think that I think that that you know the, we don't have to solve that. I think that that problem of how would you get the KYC data to travel with the funds. Even if it goes into, let's say, hardware, well, I don't think we need to solve that. I think it really is just transfers between digital asset service providers. Yeah, I think my point is less that it's a problem. There's no technical problem to be solved. It's just the whole point of the tra- what they think the travel rule is and how it should apply to crypto is mostly untenable because when you overlay what they want to do with the scenarios I'm describing, you end up with a whole bunch of data that's completely useless <laughs> because all of the scenarios in between of where the money could be or go or whatever, they can't account for and so I'm, I'm just questioning whether or not like, it's, it's even useful at all at some, at some level. I mean, it, it, we're not here to, to make regulation, of course, but um, it just seems like there's other things that they could be spending their time on that are more useful than just the movement of crypto between, uh, between exchanges. But, you know, who knows? So, so my understanding is, is uh, you, you've got a, a new product uh, coming out as well. Uh, you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, we've been over the last... Uh, year or so, we've been having a lot of companies come to us and ask us about um, supporting them with a more a deeper integration around either compliance, fiat on ramp, or both. And so, um, we've been thinking about that and, and come to the realization that it really is you know, these two problems of compliance and fiat on ramp um, are really problems that almost every crypto company faces at some point, whether they're an exchange or a wallet or many others, and that it makes a lot of sense for, um, rather than every single crypto company to be building out you know, their own compliance team and their own integrations to be able to accept fiat and get the relevant licenses and partnerships and so on, that it really does make sense for uh, a company like ours to really invest in building a great solution that we can offer to many other partners. Right. And we see that as a strong way to differentiate um, TrueUSD and our you know, true currency products because we think there's a potential for uh, true currencies to become one of the easiest ways to get money in and out of crypto, regardless of what app you're in. So you could imagine a you know like the, the kind of seamless experience that you have on an app like Coinbase. You could imagine that in hundreds of different crypto apps, being able to easily get KYC and get your money in or out of the app. Mm-hmm. And from the app developer's perspective, that will be like an API based or will it, like. A screen-based solution. How, how would that look from a developer perspective? Uh, yeah, from, from a developer's perspective, that'll be. Um, I think we're going to be offering APIs and SDKs. 
you know, for being able to do that. Okay. Well, really exciting. I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested in that. So, so that leads me to two other questions. Like, how do you guys make money? Uh, and well, let's start with that one. How do you make money? Yeah. So um, the way we make money from our true currency products, such as TrueUSD, is off of the interest from the U.S. dollars that are backing TrueUSD. And so, you know, all all those dollars are held by banking partners that we work with, and that money is generating a certain amount of interest. And so, um, you know, the, the more we can grow TrueUSD, then the larger that revenue can be. And that's right. that's, that's the same way that. Um, many other fiat-backed stablecoins make money as well. Now, are you allowed to, let's call it the, the money that you're holding, let's call it the float. Are you allowed to lend that float or are you only allowed to generate interest that the bank itself provides to you? Um, we're only generating interest that the bank itself provides to us. And there's, you know, in our uh, in our actual legal agreements with these banks, there's, you know, very, very con- conservative uh, rules about what they can do with those funds. Because, yeah. um, you know, we. You know, we as a business do need to make money, but also the, our top priority is making sure that the token holders are protected and so that you know there will always be a U.S. dollar backing your true USD. Yeah, because uh, money market rates in the U.S. are very, very low right now, right, obviously. So the return on equity is, you know, it's it's going to be sub 3%, right? So, so would you ever consider lending that money out directly to other uh, borrowers at higher rates, or is that something that you wouldn't even you would not be able to do or even consider doing? Well, so I'd say our our top priority is making sure that token holders would never lose money or be at risk. And so, you know, we as a business, you know, look for are are interested in ways that we can you know have a have a modest return on that capital, but without creating any risk for token holders. That, that I think is really our prime directive, is making sure that token holders are protected at the end of the day. Yep. And so that very much does limit um, you know, what we can do with that capital, but that's okay. We think that that is a good long-term investment. Sure, so ultimately then your, your business model is really bit dependent upon this growing to billions upon billions of dollars so that you can generate the kind of revenue from that interest. Uh, is, that a, is that a good assessment or assumption? Um, well, you know, we think that true USD and our other true currency products, um, you know, while they are, uh, you know, while, while they are successful products that you know used on many different exchanges, many different wallets, and so on, um, we do see them as uh, one piece of a broader puzzle, where we want to we want to make um, you know compliance and fiat on ramp you know, across all of crypto as easy as and as seamless as possible. And I do think that many crypto companies feel like that is one of the things that's holding back holding crypto back from achieving a more widespread audience. Um, and TrueUSD is just one piece of that puzzle, and we don't see TrueUSD you know, as the only way, um, far from it, the only way that our company is going to be making money, um, because we're also offering these additional services to many other companies. Okay. So so that leads to the second question, which which was, how do you see the business models evolving, right? We've talked about exchanges and, and uh, not having fiat on-ramps and exchanges as being the primary business model driver and usage for stablecoins right now. Uh, do you think that will be the case in four years? Do you think that people will be using stablecoins for other applications at scale four years from now? Um, well, I think that stablecoins um, are going to find more and more use cases, and it's, they're going to become um, more used in conventional markets as well, not just in crypto markets. And um, I also think stablecoins may start to be um, used under the hood in more places where you can have, let's say, payment apps that are doing international payments using stablecoins, and you as an end user might not even realize 
that you're using a stable coin. You might just know you're sending money to someone in another country. And so uh, I do think there's a lot of growth ahead of stable coins. And you know, the growth over the last couple of years of the stablecoin market as a whole has been tremendous. And so I think a lot of that um, is going to come from entire new applications that we haven't seen before. Right. So, so that's interesting, right? Because one, one of the, the biggest issues with cross-border commerce, meaning I'm in Argentina and I want to buy something from the U.S. or vice versa, is this issue of chargeback risk, right? If I'm using a credit card in, in one of those countries, buying from another country, not only is the rate 5 or 6%, but... The, the issues of dealing with cross-border chargebacks are are enormous, right? And so, the the uh, utopian scenario there, from a merchant's perspective, is is that I, I actually get a cash payment, right? Uh, and and basically let the contract rules or the you know the, the the contract between myself and the buyer apply, right? And so it seems like stable coins could actually be a, a great way to uh, to facilitate that somehow. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and that's one of the, that's one of the advantages that stablecoins have, and you know you can use smart contracts to create any sort of rules that you want around stablecoin payments. But you know by default, if I send you true USD, that is a totally secure and irreversible transaction. Um, but you know one of the other things that one of the other advantages that stablecoins have, especially when it comes to um, payments, international payments, is that you know they work instantly, twenty four seven, anywhere in the world. And so we do see a lot of let's say. Uh, trading firms where you know you might be a trader in Japan, I'm a trader in the UK, and if I want to send you a million dollars for you know a trade that we just completed, then if I send you a bank wire, it's going to take a long time to get there, and you know, if it's if it's a Friday evening, it might not get there until Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Right. Um, whereas it could be a Sunday at 1 a.m. and if I send you a stablecoin transfer, you know that'll get there in 15 seconds, and that's that's a huge value add for those sorts of folks. Absolutely. So how does this relate to what Libra and, and Facebook and the whole Libra Association, Libra Wallet, to, to what they're trying to do? It seems like they are trying to create that person-to-person and person-to-merchant stablecoin model that is integrated into Facebook's uh, merchant service, WhatsApp, Instagram, everywhere, right? I mean, um, are they going to get this done? And and is it is it... A, a, a nail in the stablecoin coffin, or does it help? Yeah, good, good question. Actually, a lot of folks have asked us that about, you know, is Libra a competitor, and are they going to wipe out the existing stablecoins? Um, actually, Libra has been a huge, huge boon for us and for many other stablecoin companies. And the reason is that, you know, they've Facebook's one of the largest companies in the world, and them announcing that they are investing significant resources in a stablecoin project. That has opened all kinds of doors for stablecoins. Where now, you know, Fortune 500 companies around the world are looking at stablecoins and saying, "Wow, there must be a significant opportunity here. We need to start figuring out how how can we use stablecoins in our business? What sort of sorts of partnerships um, or investments should we be making?" And so, you know, it's actually there are some things that I, we're going to be announcing soon that I can't share at the moment, um, but it has definitely opened a lot of doors for us and. Um, you know, Libra is also probably quite a ways away from actually launching. There's some possibility it might not launch, but they've definitely faced strong headwinds from regulators, and have also had many of the many of their partners, you know, such as PayPal and others, uh, back out of sort of the Libra coalition. And so they've both put a lot of wind into the sails of stablecoins by just you know the, the largest companies in the world saying this is a huge opportunity, so big that we want to go after it. Um, but they also, it probably will be a while before they actually present any real competition. But let's talk for a second about why they're doing 
Libra the way they're doing it? I mean, they obviously could have done it the way you're doing it, which is to build an ERC-20 or Ethereum-based token where they're simply holding a pot of dollars or a pot of euros or both. Like they could have a, a, a Libra dollar, a Libra euro, a Libra yen, um, Libra peso, et cetera, et cetera. But instead, they chose not only to create a basket, but more importantly, to not use Ethereum and basically create their own blockchain. Um, now, I believe the, the reason that they're doing that is, is that they know that they have a billion users across all of these services. And if they were all to basically start using ERC-20-based stablecoins, it would be a disaster because the Ethereum network couldn't handle the load and, and, and you know, transaction fees would skyrocket to where they were when CryptoKitties were popular and Bitcoin was at 20000 And so I'm curious to get your perspective on that and how that relates to what you guys will have to do over time to get to those other use cases in a scalable way. Yeah, so I mean, I, I hope that we do have some of those problems. Um, I guess, first of all, touching on the uh, currency side, you know, their decision to make it a, a token that's backed by a basket of currencies, um, we think that that is somewhat antithetical to the real power that cryptocurrencies and smart contracts provide. You know, we see it as we're, we're putting out building blocks that many other folks can use, you know, true USD and true British pound and true yeah. Hong Kong dollar. And then, you know, any developer in the world today could write a smart contract that is a basket. Uh, and you could say, I'm going to do 50% this one, 50% this sure. one, or you could have it change over time. does that. We do that in everything. So, so, so I actually think that's an easy problem to fix. I think that was a mistake. I think they've, I think internally there's my impression from what they've said publicly, I don't have any inside info, is that they are moving in the direction of recognizing that mistake. So, so my point is, is this is still the same, which is whether they have multiple baskets, which are one is dollars, one is euros, or they, they, they mash them up together. The point is the same, right? they don't trust Bitcoin and Ethereum to scale and therefore they need their own system. Is that correct when you think about it in the context of Facebook's numbers and the number of users versus where we are in our shared ecosystem of exchanges and wallets and et cetera, et cetera? Well, so I do see those as two separate issues. Sure. And so on the currency one, you know, I do think that the model of producing individual currencies and then allowing the ecosystem to develop around those and create various baskets, I think that is a better model. And I think Facebook folks might see that. But I think I think they will get there eventually because I think they're creating unnecessary political discussions yeah. that don't add any value to either the consumer uh, or to their day in general, yeah. right? So okay. I think they'll punt on that soon enough. And then it really becomes the other issue, which is more about architecture and which right. platform do I develop on? Yeah, so on the architecture side, you know, that's a place where, you know, TrueUSD is actually, it's not just an ERC-20 token. You know, we recently added support for Binance Chain. Mm-hmm. And so TrueUSD is also a BEP2 token. And Binance Chain has different trade-offs in Ethereum. You know, it's got much faster block times around one second instead of 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just that, that means that if you wanted to, let's say, buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, that using the Binance Chain instead of the Ethereum token might be a good choice. Um, and and as, we, as, we look, as we watch the blockchain uh, ecosystem developing and we see different winners and losers coming out, we can definitely add support for, for TrueUSD to other blockchains or even potentially build our own blockchain down the road. It is something that we've considered, but you know, we, we, we wouldn't want to build that unless we felt confident that it would be used and that it would be genuinely useful to our users. But if slash when the com- time comes, that's not something that we would hesitate to do. Yeah. So so the bottom line is if, if Bitcoin, when, when, let's say when, when Bitcoin goes to 50,000 and Ethereum comes along for the ride sure. and we have the next crypto kitty, kitty craze or whatever, whatever the equivalent is, um, you're not afraid that um, 
you guys won't be able to scale person-to-person transactions with crazy gas fees or uh, mining fees or whatever the equivalent is. No, because we we will just be adding. So you know, if, if Ethereum is really clogged up, you know, developers and users will be moving onto new blockchains, and there's nothing that stops TrueUSD from being able to go cross blockchain to those folks as well. And so similarly with Libra, you know, them adding Libra support, adding an ERC twenty version of Libra, and adding a Binance chain version of Libra, you know, that would be totally possible and reasonable for them to do, as well as having it on their own chain. That's I see. Right. So so in theory, you could, uh, and and I don't, maybe you are working on this. I don't know EOS or Stellar or. Absolutely. Even, even I, I guess, I, I don't know, Ripple-based uh, versions, IOU-based versions of, of what you're doing, right? That's all theoretically possible. Yeah, that's absolutely possible. And many, many um, of those blockchains, uh, many of those folks have approached us and asked us if we could add support. Yeah, I'm sure. And you know, it, it is a significant developer investment on our side to be right. able to do that. Um, but it's something that we're interested in doing over time as we can see which blockchains end up getting the most use and, and which ones not. Is there one protocol you're particularly excited about that, that isn't getting a lot of use today? I'm curious. Um, I, I don't want to speak to any particular one right now. Oh, come on. Uh, I think uh, I think having a I think having our stablecoin across a variety of protocols, you know, ones that focus more on decentralization, like Ethereum, or ones that focus more on speed, I think having across a variety that chosen different trade-offs, yeah. I think that's really the best model for a token. Right, I agree with that. Uh, but if you were developing uh, TrueUSD from scratch today, would you do it the way you've done it? Uh, yeah, Okay. Yeah, I think that we would. I think that um, if, we, if we had billions and billions of users, we, we might be moving forward building our own uh, chain. Yeah. Um, I can see that, that happening much sooner. But you know, given the level of use, usage that we have right now, the blockchains that we're on are serving us well. Gotcha. How many uh, how many employees at Trust Token? Twenty three right now. Cool. And here, all here in we're we're in your office in San Francisco. All here in San Fran. Um, we've got a couple folks that are remote, and we're actually uh, right now opening up an Ireland office. Oh, right on. Okay. And you know, we just think it's helpful to be able to um, be able to hire quality talent across multiple jurisdictions. Absolutely. And and you guys are venture capital cap, venture capital backed. Yep. How much have you announced in terms of raising so far? How much have you raised? Um, we've raised about $30 million. Great. Fantastic. Um, is there anything else our, our audience should know about uh, about uh, Trust Token or TreeUSD? Um, I'd say if you're interested in our products, you know, feel free to go to trusttoken.com and you can learn more about them and you can purchase them. Uh, a lot of folks don't know just how easy it is to purchase and redeem stable coins. And if you're a trader or you're a fund manager um, or you know whatever whatever work you do inside of crypto, it, true currencies can definitely maybe very likely be helpful. Fantastic. Well, Abra users, you can also deposit uh, true USD uh, into the Abra, Abra app now. So if you're in uh, one of the hundred plus countries that our, our user base um, supports, uh, I'm, I'm assuming many of them, you can now go to the. Uh, the TrueUSD website, uh, sign up to be able to wire money in there and then deposit the money directly into Abra. And there's dozens of, of, of currencies you can uh, buy and sell using TrueUSD in our, in our platform now. So we're particularly excited about that. So, so well done to you guys for, for you know, doing that and, and making such a cool feature available for, for our users. Thank you. So it's been great working with your team as well. Yeah, thank you very much. So, um, so yeah. So let's 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 stop there. I think this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for for the time. Uh, so it's uh, Rafael Cosman, co-founder and head of engineering and product at Trust Token. 
thank you so much for the time. This has been awesome. I think a lot of our users are going to learn a lot today, and that's that's what we strive for here. Thank so, you. Uh, Appreciate thank it, you. Bill. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, so that uh, that's a wrap. Another episode of Abra Money 3.0. Thanks again for listening to the Money 3.0 show. We hope you liked this episode as much as we did. If so, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to download the Abra app wherever you get your apps.